Hello and welcome to Baka Banter, a podcast about all things anime and otaku culture. My name is Ravi and I'm joined by the lad who's now lived longer than almost any anime character in existence, Yanatan. Do you want to say hi, Yanni? Isn't that just like anybody who's graduated high school? <laughs> I actually did look up what other anime <laughs> characters were 26 and I think you're among the leagues of like Saitama. I think you've at this point lived Almost as long as L, if not longer. Nice. Spoilers. Nice. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> so tell me, what's new this week? What's new this week? Well, the thing that I just texted you about and was freaking out about this morning was that they dropped the opening for Stone Ocean, uh, JoJo's Part 6. And I'm so happy they went back to the CG stylized openings that they used for Parts 1 through 3. And it looks really good. Music sounds great. I am super, super excited for part six. I fucking love JoJo's. And yeah, I'm excited to see what all the hype is about. Unfortunately, the ending of the part six manga got spoiled for me already, which is a little (laughs) bit sad. Uh, But you know, JoJo's isn't really that much about the plot at the end of the day. So I'm super excited for it. I can't believe that it's already here and that it's dropping this week. Super excited for that. I also realized that I absolutely lied in our last podcast episode saying that we were going to do the studio ghibli episode top five don't spoil this my week. fucking intro you bitch oh this is part of your intro don't all right spoil well, my let's fucking intro. cut to the intro cut to the intro <laughs> <laughs> so today's episode is going to be a bit of a special one uh i know we never lie oh you fucking dick you stole <laughs> it from me you stole it from me oh man <laughs> So today's episode is going to be a bit of a special one. I know we never lie to you, dear listeners, but in our last episode, we said that today we'd be doing our top five Studio Ghibli movies, and that is indeed not what we are doing today. Instead, after going to Anime NYC a couple weeks ago, we decided that we'd be remiss if we didn't dedicate an entire episode to our thoughts on our first anime convention. So that's what we're going to do. We'll be discussing our expectations going into the con, giving our thoughts on everything from the expo floor to Artist Alley, and maybe even letting loose a rant or two. So let's get into it. All right, Yanni, so tell me, did Anime NYC sate your appetite for Genshin? <laughs> Nothing can do that. My appetite for Genshin is too large. <laughs> I'm glad we're doing a full episode on this, though. Basically, what happened to piggyback off of your intro is that we had the Studio Ghibli episode planned. Don't worry, we're still doing it. That's going to come next episode. But we had so many stories and things we wanted to talk about that happened at the convention that we figured, okay, we have at least an hour, an hour and a half of stuff to discuss that I think would be fun for other people to hear whether they went to the con or not. And moreover, I think it's just a good series for us to start. Like, if we go to a con and consume a bunch of anime content, watch some screenings, see some cool exhibits. We might as well talk about it on the anime podcast that we have. So I think it's just going to be a tradition that if we go to a con, we'll just talk about our experiences. And I think that'll be fun and and worthwhile. Yeah, I think when we were there for those three days, we did realize that there was more than enough to talk about in a full episode. And uh, there were definitely some spicy moments that we'll be getting. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You weren't lying about the rants. The rants are fucking happening. (laughs) So to start off, as your first anime con, and mine as well, what were you expecting going into it? Ah, what was I expecting? I think the thing I was looking forward to the most was 
and being in a space where I was just surrounded by anime content of all different kinds, whether it's art or exhibits or screenings or panels. I was just excited to be in a place where everybody was as excited about anime as I was. And we've talked a lot on this podcast about how anime has become more mainstream and we have more people to talk about and share anime with, but it's still different to be in a place where anime is all there is everywhere. And I think that's what I was really looking forward to and really excited about and definitely one of my big takeaways from the con. What about you? Yeah, this isn't my first con, but this is my first anime con. And I've been to New York Comic Con for five years, I think. And every time I go, I get super excited before I go because I know that the people that are going to be there the fandoms that they're from overlap with a lot of my interests. And it's really, really nice to be in a community that shares similar interests to you and does so almost unabashedly. Like the number of people who are there cosplaying, who are just walking around, who are so excited to be there, you feel the energy and you feel like you're a part of that community when you're there. And that's great. And uh, when you get there and the line is six blocks long <laughs> and all of those people are cosplaying, it's, it's a really fun sight to see, even though your, your smile is just withering a little bit because you realize the line is six blocks long. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a second. <laughs> Do you have any overarching thoughts on what were you really excited to see? I think beyond that community aspect, there were definitely a few events that I was really looking forward to. So... I could feel myself at the days before the con downloading the official app and looking through the full schedule and bookmarking things that I was looking forward to or wanted to try to see. I could definitely feel a lot of excitement about all these different kinds of events. It is very funny because I think that now, having been to a con, I know that all the things that I bookmark and that I'm interested in, like 50 or 75% of those, I'm just not going to make it to and that that's fine. <laughs> like It's okay to just miss stuff and try to be selective about the things you can go to because there's only so many hours in the day. It's really tiring. There are lines everywhere. So you got to be prepared to make some sacrifices to the things that you want to see. The highlight for me was probably winning the lottery tickets to see the two movie screenings that we got to see, which were for Pompo the Cinephile and Bell. We are going to have a lot of thoughts about those <laughs> towards, I think, the latter part of the podcast. It's going to be completely spoiler-free discussion because those films have not come out for the general public and we want you to go see them. But we're still going to give some thoughts because we have a lot of them. But that was really exciting to enter a lottery, win tickets, and then basically dedicate the entire last day of the con to going to see these movies that haven't been shown either in the US or on the East Coast before, haven't been released for the general public. It makes a convention feel really special. And that's probably the thing I was most excited about, I think, going in. Yeah, for me, Artist Alley is always my number one destination. The same is true, I guess, for, for any con. For a comic con, I just love going to see what people are creating. And it's great to see just people from all over coming and, and showing their stuff off. And the excitement from both the community of artists and the people that are there just intermingling. And everyone's just so excited and the energy is overwhelming when you go to the area. I love doing that. What you said is is very true. You know, I have never really focused on going to panels and, and other events at cons. I've really spent my time on the expo floor in Artist Alley. 
And this time we both looked at the schedule. We picked out like 10 panels. I remember when we were standing in line, we were comparing <laughs> schedules being like, oh man, are we going to get to this? We're we not going to get to this. We had, we had gone all the way from the one starting at 1 p.m. all the way to like, you know, latest going to 10 p.m. The masquerade was from 8 to 10 p.m. And we thought we were going to hit a lot of these. We ended yeah. up going to like literally one. Yeah. And so it's hilarious just how the time flies when you're actually on the floor. But that was definitely what I was most excited for. I want to say that I actually went to more than one because <laughs> you skipped the Attack on Titan one because you haven't seen the final season yet. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. You guys came back from the Attack on Titan one with uh, mixed feelings. Oh, we're going to talk about that too. Don't worry. <laughs> I wanted to ask you specifically, since you've been to Comic-Con, NYC Comic-Con, what was your experience like at Anime NYC compared to Comic-Con? Were there any big differences or big similarities? Anything that really surprised you? For those of you that are not from New York City, both are held in the Javits Center, which is New York City's largest convention center. It's on the west side near the Hudson River, and it's giant. It is absolutely yeah. giant. And for Comic-Con, what they do is the entire third level is taken up by the expo floor. So there's exhibitors from all different industries, industry partners just selling their wares comic book distributors at Comic-Con. You have people selling models. You have people selling playing cards, dice, just all these different fandoms coming together. And the scale is slightly larger there for sure. For Anime NYC, we had the expo floor. And on the same floor, we also had Artist Alley. So they were sharing a space. And then on the bottom level, panels were held in these smaller rooms. And that bottom level was where Artist Alley was for, for New York Comic-Con. So the scale is slightly different. I want to cut in really quickly and say that it's not that Anime NYC is small by any means because there's still like over 40,000 people there. At least those were the 2019 numbers. I have no idea what they mm -hmm. set capacity at for 2021, but it's still a lot of people. It's, it's still not as definitely big as a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's relative. What else? So the fandoms are definitely different. And we'll talk about this later when we get into the cosplay section. But there's a clear difference in the people that you're going to see and the things that they're going to be interested in. For Comic-Con, because it does take everything from comic books to anime to cartoons, there's just so many more fandoms represented. We talked with Lauren a little bit about this, but even at Anime NYC, you could see that there's an amalgamation of fandoms coming together because we also did see people interested in comics at Anime NYC. I think there's just, again, a difference in scale, just the number of fandoms with more being present at Comic-Con for sure. And we can talk about some of the other differences when we actually get into the different aspects, including the expos and the exhibitors and, and the artist alley and the cosplays. But I was very, very excited for both of these. And Anime NYC, I think, definitely lived up to those expectations just at the front. I think that needs to be said. Yep, definitely same here. I was excited about it. And... I think it mostly delivered. Maybe let's talk a little bit about the part where it didn't deliver. <laughs> yeah. You want to go for it? <laughs> sure. So you talked already about the layout of the building and where it's held in the Javits Center. And we have a little bit of a logistics rant to go on. Sorry, Peter, who was our <laughs> guest on the pod previewing Anime NYC as one of the organizers and the event director. But basically, the con, the actual con content started on Friday and started in the afternoon. I think it was like one was the first event or two or something like that. But the one difference this year between other years is that you had to be vaccinated to enter. And so they had to do a an additional vaccination check. So you had to pick up your badge 
which if you ordered early enough could have been mailed to you. And then you also had to get the vaccine wristband and you just had to do that on the first day. Or if you were a one day attendee, you could do that on the day that you actually attended. They did also have the option to pick up your vaccine wristband the week leading up to the convention. And they did say that they expected the lines to be long and they expected to be a little bit of a holdup, but it's slightly out of the way to get the Javits for like anybody that knows that the layout of New York, it's like not exactly convenient. And so definitely most people that had already gotten their badges because they pre-ordered them like we did, were expecting it to be maybe a little bit of a line, a vaccine check, and then getting into the building. And so we planned to get there a little bit before the first events started because the exhibition floor and artist alley don't even open until the time the event starts. So there's not really a big point in getting there right when the doors open, unless you want to be like the first person to the expo hall for some very specific piece of merchandise that might sell out, which people definitely did. And we did a little bit on the second day based off what happened the first day. But anyways, we thought we could just get there around noon. Yeah, let me let me set the scene a little bit here. So there were four of us that went. It was me, Yanni, Yanni's sister, and a mutual friend, also Yanni's girlfriend, Hope. Mm-hmm. And so we had a chat and... <laughs> The, the days leading up to the actual con, everyone was like, all right, when do we want to get there? How are we going to organize this? And everyone's like, all right, let's get there like maybe two hours before. The lines are going to be crazy. And I'm sitting here in my room just being like, guys, I get to Comic-Con like 30 minutes before I actually want to get in. Everything is very smooth. You just get in. There's very few lines. And I usually go for one day. And so I usually go on Saturday, which is the busiest day. I'm typing this in the chat and then people are responding to me with like, you're not being cautious enough. Like we should get there a little earlier. <laughs> I just want to scope out the layout of the building. Like we should, we should know what we're doing here. And I'm just thinking to myself, this is ridiculous. Okay, we'll, we'll get there like 30 minutes before and we'll be fine. And that is not how it turned out. I was wrong. So what happened is we <laughs> basically decided that we'll go a few hours before everything sort of started and opened get there a little bit early, but not a crazy amount early, like right when the doors open. So we showed up at 12. That's an hour before everything opens. And the only event, the first event I would say that we wanted to go to was at four, this was the Attack on Titan panel. So we had a lot of wiggle room, we thought, to get in, walk around, get our bearings, maybe check some stuff out. We show up to the Javits Center and we set a little meeting spot. And suddenly we see that the line stretches multiple blocks and also like coils into part of the Javits Center like underground. And suddenly we're all like, huh, this line looks large, but maybe it's moving quickly. So we start to head towards the end of the line and it is indeed moving quickly. We didn't realize that was because the line was just filling up because everybody apparently had the same idea that we had. But we get to the end of the line, it starts to move quickly. We're like many blocks away from the Javits Center at this point. And we get there and suddenly the line starts to slow down until it basically comes to a halt. And mind you, it is really cold. It was like maybe 40 degrees, maybe sub 40 degrees. It was pretty fucking cold outside. And everybody's just sitting in this line and this line does not appear to be moving at all. I think the danger here is not only was it cold, but a lot of the people cosplaying are yeah, not I felt wearing so winter bad gear, for people right? Cosplaying, Many yeah. of the people cosplaying, like especially people wearing skirts, people wearing like sleeveless yeah. shirts or not even yeah. a full shirt, those people were freezing. Yeah. And long story short, they were severely understaffed, I think, in terms of managing the line and in terms of getting people vaccine wristbands as they were checking into the building. 
And it just didn't move quickly. They didn't have enough people at the door making sure it moved in kind of an orderly fashion. And everybody in line was, of course, super upset because nothing kills hype for going to a convention or anything else, like standing outside for multiple hours. I think we ended up spending like three or four hours in the line, which was pretty common for everybody that came at that sort of time period that we did. It was freezing. No fun at all. We were worried that we were going to miss some of the events. Eventually... It seemed like they made some adjustments, some very illogical ones in terms of like reorganizing how the lines worked and all that stuff, but they were sort of responding to the situation. And they did put out a tweet and send out an email at the end of the first day, apologizing for everything, saying they didn't have a good enough entry plan. And it seemed like they did fix it for the other days and that the entry process was a lot smoother. A lot of people had also already picked up their vaccine response. So everything could kind of move a little bit quicker. I still don't really know how this happens. Like... I don't know how all this works behind the scenes, but in theory, you know exactly how many badges you sold and you should be able to devise a strategy to get people in in an orderly fashion, especially given that this convention's already run for multiple years and all you need to do is add a vaccine check, which is very quick. You either bring your actual vaccination card or New York has an Excelsior pass where you can just have it right on your Apple wallet. So it definitely doesn't take a long time to check if someone's vaccinated or not. And yeah, it just should have moved a lot quicker. They should have been more prepared for it, but it was pretty excruciating. At some point, two of our people at our party got out of line to go get some hot mac and cheese so we could eat it while we were sitting there. But at least they responded to the situation and acknowledged it, which is more than I feel like other places might do. So it was what it was, but the experience was much better in the second two days, I think. I think once we got in, I personally was like, okay, you know, let's experience as much of the con as we can. Let's be happy that we got in. You know, let's have a good time. And by the end of Friday, I did feel like it was worth it at the end of the day to spend those three hours in line. At the same time, I completely understand that people who didn't have the three-day passes, who just had a Friday pass, would be very justifiably angry at the situation yeah. because a lot of people were very excited to go to like the what was it, like the franchushu concert or something no that was that was on sunday people were really excited about the hololive concert the hololive concert. too and we were even worried about whether we'd make the attack on titan panel which we did but a lot of people really wanted to go to the hololive concert which makes sense like vtubers are so big hololive is one of the biggest yeah. agencies for that and it was one of the big marquee events for a lot of people so if you just had a friday pass and you got in line two hours early thinking that you'd have a lot of time you probably didn't make it And that really sucks to miss out on something that you were particularly excited about. So, yeah, people were probably understandably very upset. I'm glad they bounced back. I am glad it didn't become a line con for Saturday and Sunday as well. But first of the rants out of the way. So why don't we move on to what was actually in the convention? Just to give a quick little outline for the rest of the episode now that we've given our overarching thoughts. We're going to talk about the exhibitors first and then transition into talking about Artist Alley, since we have a lot of artists we want to shout out that we got to meet and that we got stuff from. We'll then talk about the community there and cosplays and all this kind of stuff. Then we'll actually talk about the events and the panels that we went to and wrap up with the two movie screenings. Definitely worth sticking around for us talking about the movie (laughs) screenings. That's what I'm most looking forward to. But why don't you kick us off starting about the exhibitors and the expo hall? I feel like you should, considering the <laughs> first one there is all your sure. attention shit. Fuck, yeah. Okay, so anybody that knows me knows that I am an enormous Genshin fan, Genshin player. I do my dailies every single day since I started playing. Oh, when did I even start playing Genshin? 
I started playing during the pandemic, like towards the end of towards the end of last year, I think. So it's like getting close to about a year of me playing Genshin. Have not missed a single day of dailies, and <laughs> I'm pretty invested. That's insane. I <laughs> like I have been on road trips, backpacking trips, and I still managed to get my dailies in. So don't ask me how I do it, but. Needless to say, I like Genshin a lot. I'm pretty invested in the meta and all these kind of things. So it, it's a franchise and a game that I really like. And they had a, Mihoyo had a booth there for both Genshin and some of their other games like Honkai. And that booth was madness. And I knew it would be because just seeing the sheer number of Genshin cosplays was crazy. I was expecting it to be big, but it just blew my mind absolutely how big this game is and the fandom for the game is. But Mihoyo had a booth there, and they announced that they were doing pre-orders for merch, which looked okay. The The merch wasn't anything wild, but, you know, it's not often that you get to get official Genshin merch. So, of course, people were excited about it. I'll just say right now that I never got in line, because every time I showed up at the booth, it was just full. Like, the lines were full. They had run out of pre-orders. You basically couldn't get in line and actually pre-order something unless you were one of the first people to line up at the start of the day when the building opened. I think this was another logistical flaw, though, with the lines, because on Saturday, we did end up lining up for the pre-queue area inside. And we noticed, or at least a friend of yours noted, that you didn't have to actually go to the pre-queue area. You could just wander around the exhibit. And unbeknownst to us, there was another line. And so you were confused about how you were in the first line. You got there as soon as it opened, and it was already packed. You want to describe your anger a little bit there? Well, at the end of the day, I wasn't that angry about it because I wasn't super set on getting any of the merch. And actually, once I got to the booth that Saturday when we pre-queued, they had like the life-size cutouts of the characters. I got to take a picture with Hutao. That was fucking sick. And they were also handing out these free Genshin bags if you posted something on social media related to the booth. And they were handing out postcards. And that's basically all I wanted. Like, I didn't know that you didn't have to line up for those things. And so the fact that I was able to get that and see the booth, I was perfectly happy. But if you really wanted any of the merch, it was frustrating because you're right. We did pre-queue on Saturday. We went straight to the Genshin exhibit and it was already full. And I was like, huh, that doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> like there weren't that many people in front of us. And then on Sunday, we didn't pre-queue, but we still got there pretty early and we went to get coffee instead because we had already done most of the Expo Hall Artist Alley stuff. So we just really wanted to settle in and get ready for the films. And we noted that there was outside of the pre-queue area in the upper level where you could get coffee, basically people started to line up even though there wasn't a pre-queue area there. And they just let everyone in right when the exhibit hall opened. And so you could basically skip the entire pre-queue line and go get yourself a coffee, (laughs) go get in line, and you were right next to the Genshin booth when it opened. And that's just really unfortunate for people that actually pre-queued, got there early, and had their heart set on getting something and then maybe weren't able to. But... Hopefully it worked out for most people, but it just, I was looking at the line and I was like, how is this legal? <laughs> like You're skipping so many people that pre-queued here. Yeah. I honestly think that it would be really difficult to actually get those, you know, 60 special item or whatever it was. Yeah. The first 60 people got a EULA print and I made EULA and Hu Tao. So I was 
pretty, I would have been excited to get one, but once I read that it was just first 60 people, I was like, there's no way. Like, I'm already not getting yeah. this. Let yeah. me just get a Eula printed artist alley or something, which is what I ended up doing. So yeah, yeah the I was expecting the Mihoyo booth and Genshin content to be pretty front and center. And it was, and even way more than I thought it was. That booth was absolute madness. So besides that booth, did you have any other standout booths? There were a few fun things uh, on the exhibition floor. There was a big Aniplex booth that had a bunch of SAO Progressive content on it. Near that, there was also these big bell cutouts and some trailers showing clips from the movie which i was excited about till i fucking saw the movie and whoa whoa <laughs> spoilers <laughs> for and, ourselves <laughs> and um there are a few other cool things there's a big hololive booth which i'm not a big vtuber or hololive person i'm kind of more interested in just why this is such a sensation and sort of a cultural phenomenon but there was a big booth selling official hololive merch there was an artist on the exhibit floor that was doing chalk art from different scenes from anime. I think he was doing a faraway paladin one live as the con was going on. So it was really cool. You could just walk around and watch this pretty insane artist just live creating this giant chalk piece on the floor. That was super cool. And then there was a whole area of waifu cars, which I also fucking liked. Um, Ravi got a photo with the Ram Ram, which was great. <laughs> yeah, the the other part were the more like independent distributors and, and exhibitors. And there were some really cool bookstores around. Uh, Kunikunia yeah. had a, a very cool book area. Um, I know there were also at Comic-Con, but some of the other smaller ones, like, you know, I walked around to one of the booksellers and they had deluxe editions of the Berserk collections, like the collected volumes. Yeah. And unfortunately, I only went to go see it on Sunday because that was the day I reserved for the exhibitors. And they were completely sold out of volumes one through four and only had five through eight. And right. I asked the guy, I was like, hey, do you have any more like ones left? I haven't read manga, but... I really, if anything, would want to get into Berserk. And he literally just laughed at me and was like, that sold out in the first like 30 minutes of day one. And I was like, all right, sorry for asking. That was actually another cool piece on the exhibit floor was that they had this memorial, basically big board that you could sign for Berserk's mangaka, Kentaro Miura, who just passed away. And so it was really nice to walk by that and go see people signing and leaving heartfelt little notes. And I think I read that they were going to actually ship that to Japan, which I think is pretty cool that this was a big NYC-based, US-based convention. But obviously, Berserk has meant a lot to a ton of people, and people could express their gratitude for the mangaka that tragically left us much too soon. So that was another really cool part of the exhibit hall. The only thing that I actually bought on the exhibit floor was I really fucking wanted a keychain. <laughs> like <laughs> I really wanted some like subtle anime related keychain and I was pretty picky about it. Like I didn't want something too large. I don't really like the acrylic or the glossy one. So I was like really being specific and scouting out for this fucking keychain. End of the day on I think Saturday basically decided there was one exhibitor that had a ton of keychains lined up and so you could sit there and look through it, all the characters and i ended up getting this really cute rin your camp keychain 
that the exhibitor told me is like super rare. And once someone tells you that, you're like, yeah, I'm at a con, like I'm spending $25 on a keychain. You're gonna tell me whatever you want. But then we actually went and looked it up after and it is actually completely out of stock. So that made me feel a little bit better and more justified about it. But it's just a cool little piece and something I've like wanted to own. And now every time I open my apartment, I'm like, oh, that's cute. <laughs> Yeah, I think the other ones that stood out to me, I mean, you mentioned the uh, the the waifu cars, which are hilarious. They had like 20 different cars. There were in a the front lot of area, cars. Yeah. But the wraps were pretty cool. And then they had two giant trucks. So they had, a, as you said, a Ram uh, from ReZero. She was marked on there, but it was a Ram, like a Dodge Ram. So that was yeah. funny. They also had some very cool clothing vendors. And so that's mm -hmm. one of the things that I was really excited to finally get. I kind of went into this year's con knowing that I finally wanted to spend some money on merch that I think I would either have as art for my room or that I would wear. And so I was very excited to get some anime-inspired clothing. A lot of it went very quickly. I know there were yeah. a couple Evangelion shirts that were just sold out like immediately yeah. that I was really excited about. I don't know why anime distributors do this, but they make everything super large and a giant across <laughs> the entire shirt. I want something minimalist. I know we're both like this. We're pretty into the subtle anime nods in our merch. Exactly. So you want something subtle. And there are not that many vendors that have that, but the people that do, it again, just sells out immediately. And you'd think that, hey, if this is happening, maybe you'd realize that people want more of this. Instead, no. Instead, the Faku booth is like getting overrun with Ahigawa <laughs> sweatshirts out here. So that was another fun one. Faku is a hentai website. Thank you, Mr. Hentai. <laughs> hey, man. Just got to let the people know. And so this booth here, we walked past it and the number of people that were just like slyly walking past it and like kind of just <laughs> laughing with their hands in front of their mouths was just great. It's like, I know you're going to come back and buy something. It's really worth it to be there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess the only other thing where there, there were a ton of exhibitors selling figures and I like figures and I'm sort of looking to start getting some more figures than the few I currently own. But I've heard that conventions are typically not the place to get figures and the prices are like pretty marked up compared to what you can find online. And I feel like if I'm going to purchase figures, I have to be a little bit more in the know about which figures are worth it and how to really value a figure and do a little bit more research. So I didn't end up picking anything up, but it was fun to go through and actually look at those. Again, having only ever been to Comic-Con before, there were a lot more mystery boxes that I've seen in, in recent years. So many mystery boxes. Every booth had a here. fucking mystery box. Yeah. <laughs> And for those of you that don't know, mystery boxes are a set price. So maybe like you pay like $50 and you don't know what's going to be in the box, but they tell you the box is worth $75. You're going to get like a shirt. You're going to get like a small figure and a keychain or something like that. Um, but you don't know exactly where you're going to get. And so, so many places had that. And besides that, I mean, there was a smattering of other stuff. Like, for example, there were a few D&D booths that had things like dice and there were a few wand shops, sword shops, like people were selling the, the plastic replica swords that were just getting overwhelmed by weebs that wanted these swords, which is <laughs> hilarious. And then there were a few other non-anime related exhibitors that had just art or had like candles. There was one booth that was about Japanese tourism and basically trying to like educate people about going to Japan or different regions in Japan. So I actually stopped by and had a chat with one of the people working these booths just because I had a trip planned to Japan and obviously I want to go. So 
it was fun also just chatting to them for a bit. Yeah, there, there were quite a few booths that were doing tourism in Japan and also quite a few other con booths. People advertising yeah. cons in, for example, D.C. or Philadelphia or New Jersey. That was always nice to see. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about the exhibitors? No, let's move on to Artist Alley. All right. So what did you think about Artist Alley being in your first Artist Alley? I really, really liked it. And I was expecting to like it because I really like art made by fans of whatever franchise. So I was expecting that I would like it. It was maybe larger than I was expecting it to be. And so it did take a long time to go through all of the artists. I think the main thing I took away from it is how many different art styles were really represented there. And we'll talk through sort of our highlights and what we ended up getting. But this is definitely the area where we spent the most amount of money. And I think that's because all four of us that were there, but especially you and I really like artwork and like to put up pieces in our room and, and decorate our room with the franchises that we like and with nods and art from those franchises. So yeah, I was I was really, really happy with it. And it was definitely where we spent the most time, which I wasn't necessarily expecting before the con. Yeah, I know I said when I went into, for example, the exhibitors area, I was looking to get clothing. And when I went into Artist Alley, I was really looking to get something for my wall. I wanted something that was going to be a centerpiece. And I ended up. Oh, did you that. buy something? Yeah, for <laughs> sure. When I go in, I have a very high threshold, I think, for buying something. And I will really only buy something when I think it's like meaningful. So I wanted to get something from shows that are important to me or something that's culturally interesting or important to me. This year at Comic-Con was the first year that I've actually bought artwork. And I got a couple things. I got an Evangelion print, which I think was really cool. I also got another Ukiyo-e print, which was from the Final Fantasy game. So those are really cool. And I kind of wanted other things to build off of that. Was there something that you were looking for? Besides no, Genshin. nothing. <laughs> Ravi at some point asked me, so spoiler, I got a lot of Genshin stuff, but Ravi at some point told me, he was like, I knew you were a big Genshin fan and a big, pretty dedicated player, but I didn't realize how much it would skew towards Genshin stuff for your actual purchases at the con. And it definitely did. And I, part of that is that I am just an enormous Genshin fan. But the other part is that a lot of the artwork that was there was understandably from bigger shows airing right now, you know, stuff like Demon Slayer. And I like Demon Slayer. I do not like Demon Slayer enough to get Demon Slayer specific artwork to own. And so the franchises that I would be really motivated to get stuff from, always more Monogatari stuff, but you know, March Comes In Like a Lion, Tatami Galaxy, these kinds of slightly older franchises that aren't fully in the classic like Bebop Evangelion realm, I definitely would have bought stuff from, but they were very, very underrepresented. And obviously, understandably, there's just going to be less people really excited about those. And so I only saw a few Monogatari pieces. I didn't see anything March comes in like a lion. Didn't see anything Tommy Galaxy related. And a bunch of the other franchises I like were just not really that present. Like there wasn't even that much Fate stuff, for example, which was kind of surprising given that even Fate Grand Order had a big event at the actual con. And so because of that, the thing that was overly represented like Demon Slayer and some of these other franchises was Genshin. And I fucking love Genshin. So having all the Genshin just flashed in front of my eyes made me end up getting a lot of stuff from there. Yeah, I've seen that as a common theme. I mean, you're going to see an overrepresentation of the things that are most popular right now. And it makes sense for the artists because yeah. 
you want to create something that is likely going to sell. As you could tell, the Kenshin booths were overwhelmed. The My Hero booths yeah. were overwhelmed. The Jujutsu Kaisen booths were just like, people were going crazy. And again, that was nice to see in some respects. But also, I do wish that I had seen things from other shows that are very meaningful to me. Yeah. No Madoka content. Where is my Magical Girl merch? <laughs> there was a good amount of Ava, which I was happy about. There was a good um, amount I, of Ava. I did get some Ava stuff. And you also saw that, again, it's not anime specific. So we did see, I don't want to get into this debate here, but you did see a lot of Avatar stuff. I mean, you see a lot of yeah. stuff from American cartoons, which was nice. All right. So do you want to maybe go through what each of us got in order? We'll also, while we're doing this, shout out the artists because they're all super talented and deserve people to go check out more of their work. And then also the ones that have a Twitter will link in the episode on Twitter when publishes. So if you want to go follow them and check out more of their work, you totally can. Obviously, there is not that much that we can say about the prints other than sort of vaguely describing them because it's, you know, art and you have to just sort of see it. But maybe at some point on our personal accounts or on Instagram or something, I will at least post some of the artwork I got once it's framed if people want to check it out. So why don't you start? All right. The first one I wanted to talk about is the one that I definitely spent the most money on. The, <laughs> the kind of biggest thing in my collection, which was this 100 characters watercolor print. This is by Geoff Pasquale. You can find him on Pasquale Productions on Instagram. That's P-A-S-C-U-A-L Productions. This had caught my eye at New York Comic Con as well. And so this artist in particular is a watercolor artist. He has some really cool Samurai Shampoo works. He had some very interesting like Demon Slayer works. And then he had this 100 characters watercolor print, which was, I think, the most expensive thing he was selling. So what he's done is he's drawn 100 different characters in a grid. And from left to right, there's a color gradient. And the characters are just so well drawn. They're from a multitude of different shows, all the way from Avatar The Last Airbender to Samurai Champloo to Cowboy Bebop to Pokemon to just all of these different shows. And I just loved it. It caught my eye. It's a big, expensive print. Yeah. But it looks really nice. And all of his watercolor work is, is really exceptional. I mulled over that for a long time because that is a lot of money. I wasn't ready to drop that much on, on art on my first day at Anime NYC. But I did it. I'm happy I did it. I think it's going to look really, really cool on my wall. All right, so then the other booth, which was right next to this one, was an Ukiyo-e exhibitor. There were a few pieces here that caught my eye. And the thing that I really like about art is when someone takes an anime character or a theme and puts it into a setting outside that anime. And so, for example, the Evangelion print I had bought at New York Comic Con took all the characters from Evangelion and put them like in a toy shop where they're all just milling around looking at toys and the toys end up being references to Ava. Like you see the different Evangelions, you see a lot of the different monsters there. And so that's really cool. And this one had a couple of prints that I really liked. One of them, which is the one I actually ended up buying, was a One Punch Man print and i had such a difficult time actually deciding between this and and you were like laughing at me actually trying to make this decision because this guy was being so fucking indecisive it's unbelievable <laughs> they had the one punch man one and they also had one from metal gear solid and metal gear solid is my favorite video game of all time but the issue is the print looked a little drab to me like the color scheme wasn't the one i wanted on my wall and the one punch man one one Punch Man is not even in my top 10 shows, probably, but I, it's still a show that I really like. And 
the actual framing of it and the narrative that was in that art piece was hilarious because you had Saitama just in the front shopping for vegetables while in the back, Genos is getting the shit kicked out of him by some <laughs> demon. So he's like flying through the air. There's a crowd watching drawn in that like ukiyo-e style. So it's just a hilarious print. And I really ended up liking it. And the color scheme is very cool. So that was done by Jed Henry. You can find him and his work on ukiyoeheroes.com. Ukiyoe is U-K-I-Y-O-E, heroes.com. From the website, he actually has an entire documentary about his art style, how he goes back to his traditional Japanese woodblock printing and starts using those elements in his actual work. And so it was very cool to see that documentary and actually watch how he did it. Yeah, these prints are also done on traditional Japanese watercolor paper. And so when you actually frame them, which this is actually the only booth that we both got something at. So I might as well just say what I got here as well. So I got an Ava print, which shows Asuka's Ava unit two, basically walking through this old Japanese town, but with a bunch of Sakura trees blooming everywhere. And that really caught my eye because I am in love with spring Japanese color palettes. And so having this really nice warm scene with an Ava just stuck in the middle in the school style I just really liked. So that's the piece that I got from there. But what I was saying is that when you frame these, you can actually frame them in a way so that the backing shows off the traditional paper, which is also, I think, really cool. I really like that print. You also had a hard time. Yeah. Don't don't make it out as if I was the only one. (laughs) (laughs) All right, to the third one. So the third one, When I went into Anime NYC, I told myself that I didn't want to have another art piece from the same show. I wanted to diversify my collection a little bit. But that was really hard because there are some amazing Evangelion works. I mean, you described a really cool Eva print from the Ukiyo-e artist. And then also there's another one that caught my eye. And this was by Christine Lee, who goes by Quistine on Instagram. That's Q-U-I-S-T-E-E-N. And her prints, just the design of them in general was very cool. She has this kind of antiquated movie poster style. So cool. And what she does is she uses these color palettes from the one I got is from like a 70s style with a ton of burnished reds and gold yellows and these light sea blues. And the print I got, she had three of them from Evangelion, one with Shinji, one with Rei and one with Asuka. And I got the Asuka one. And I, again, had such a hard time making this decision because Asuka is by far my favorite of the, the three children, even though Misato is still my favorite. But the Ray one was very cool because all three of them are made out to be kind of like movie poster shoe ads where the shoes take front and center. And the characters are kind of these grungy teenage looks. So like Ray had this sweater on, this like blue sweatshirt. Absolutely dripping in swag, dripping in swag. The clear wounds that she usually has in the show. So she had a bandage on her face and her knee. The shoe is front and center, and then the Avas that they're piloting are in the back. The mouth has a cloud coming out, which are fucking sick. And so I had such a hard time deciding between, do I want the Ray one because her drip is amazing, or do I want the Asuka one? And I ended up going with my gut choice. I just went with the Asuka one. It's going to look really cool on my wall, so I'm really happy with that purchase too. This is actually probably the one booth that I, quote-unquote, most regretted not <laughs> getting something from because I love the style of it. And 
there's just always so much space on my wall. And I also, I do a lot of landscape photography. So that also takes up a portion of my wall. And so I really just don't have enough room to get more stuff. But at some point when I have my own apartment and I have more space to decorate the entire thing I want, maybe I'll start to invest in a little bit more artwork. Yeah, I think Hope also got something from this booth. So I think she yeah. got a Spirit Away poster, which is very yeah. cool. Works really good. Um, did your sister get anything from this one? I don't think so. Okay. So the last two items... You know, I didn't go into it thinking I would get something that was not anime, but this one other artwork really caught my eye, and it was from an artist that I can only really describe as having this beautifully grotesque art style. I was very interested in it because initially when I walked by it, I saw that she was incorporating elements that a lot of people find uncomfortable. I don't know if you have a fear of small holes and repeating patterns, but she was incorporating these elements into some of her works. Other elements, she had like decay. There were characters whose faces were decaying and falling off and had maggots. And there was one that stood out to me where this character has his entire chest flayed open and he's playing violin on his trachea. And I'm very interested in anatomy. I really like that aspect of medicine. I just, I love that piece. It just looks really cool. I know you think it's going to look fucking crazy on my wall because you're just shaking your head out here. It's an amazing piece of art. It makes me so fucking uncomfortable. (laughs) Like I cannot look at that shit. I think uh, Hope also got something from this artist. Yeah, the artist had a few more toned down pieces that were definitely not grotesque. And she ended up getting one of those, which is kind of in a similar art style, but definitely more toned down. And so she ended up getting something from that. Yeah, the the artist was really, really good at playing on lighting, playing on reflections and movement. And there was a really cool water piece that she had where you could see the individual ripples in the water. I think that was so cool, so well done. The artist's name is Dawi Wong. So that's D-A-H-U-I, and then Wong is W-A-N-G. Her website is dowhi-wong.com. And the last thing, I know I said I wanted to go in and get clothing. So I ended up picking one thing that at least stood out to me, and this was a Three Lives sweatshirt from the Good Bunny Club. You can find them on thegoodbunnyclub.com. The thing that stood out to me was the minimalism of it. It literally is just... Three hearts on the front with one missing. So kind of like that video game. Oh, you've lost a heart. The sweater is so comfortable. It's thick. It's nice. I'm happy with that purchase too. All right. I'll quickly run through my pickups. So I already talked about the Ava Ukiyoe print. And then the other pieces I got. So I got three different what can only be described as Genshin waifu pieces. (laughs) (laughs) So the first one I got, it was a Raiden Shogun print done by Timeskip Studio, all one word, you can find them on Twitter. And what I really liked about it is that it showed, slight Genshin spoilers if I talk about this, but it showed, who cares? But it showed (laughs) uh, Raiden in the plane of Euthemia, her internal basically like memory palace type thing. And it just showed her in it. And she was basically centered really small with the rest of the plane surrounding her, which has this really cool foreboding look. Um, with a bunch of what are those like? Ah, had this really cool. Yeah, had a really. (laughs) I I love that I got that from a ninety degree angle that you fucking drew with your hand. Yeah, it has this really cool foreboding look with a bunch of Tory gates surrounding it and a bunch of thunder in the background, and so that immediately drew my eye. And that was definitely the only print I think that I got that I immediately saw and said I have to own that. 
And then, like I mentioned earlier, I main both Hu Tao and Eula, so I had to get a Hu Tao piece and a Eula piece. The Hu Tao piece is from Of Sky Society, also all one word. Just a really clean drawing of Hu Tao and her ghost. This specific artist also makes a bunch of desk mouse pad style prints, I guess. I don't really know what you call them, but there were a few really, really cool ones that I definitely, if I had more desk space, I would consider getting. And you can actually check those out on their website as well. And then the Eula print was by Fabu Castle. It's basically just a portrait of Eula, but drawn in this really nice dreamlike cloudy art style. Uh, and I also really, really liked that one. That one was actually completely sold out when I went to get it, but luckily she was nice enough to offer shipping to people that still wanted them. So I was able to order it and I should get that one pretty soon. I do want to mention that we had probably like a 30 minute long debate with you <laughs> about whether you wanted two or three prints or you wanted this shadow box. And do you want to describe that argument? Basically, I was really torn if I wanted to spend more money on this one artist who was making these really cool wooden boxes where you could pick four different characters from Genshin and they would just be displayed in these boxes or getting a few prints. And I was really torn and I knew I needed to get it some Genshin artwork and I just could not decide. And eventually, like 10 minutes before the con closed, I was like, I'm going to get the prints. I just, <laughs> they're speaking to me and I want the prints. And then I ran around the artist alley like a fucking madman, just tried to track down both these booths, but luckily was able to do it all in time. My favorite part of this exchange is that you asked for our advice on every single one of these steps. Like, should I get the shadow box? Everyone says yes. You're like, I'm not getting the shadow box. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Should, should I get two prints or should I get three prints? Everyone's like, all right, just get as many as you can. He's like, I'm getting two prints. They're going to be this Eula <laughs> and this Hu Tao. And we're like, all right, Yanni, are you between this Hu Tao or this Hu Tao? We would go for this Hu Tao. You're like, no, fuck it. I'm going for the other Hu Tao. <laughs> You literally listened to zero of the things that we wanted, but I'm really happy that you got the things that are in your collection now. Exactly. I ended up going for the stuff that initially spoke to me, and that's, I think, really all that matters. Go with your gut. I think also, when you mentioned Time Skip Studios and the, the write-in print that you bought, Hope was also very, very set, and immediately, her eye was immediately caught by an initial D print. And I am honestly still on the fence about ordering that print, it's a cool it looks so fucking cool. For anybody that doesn't know what Initial D is, Initial D is like the Tokyo drifting anime. It is an anime about drifting. And for anybody who is like into the art of drifting or just driving in general, Initial D is an amazing, amazing anime that you can watch. What I was going to say is that Hope actually went and watched the first episode of Initial D after the COD because she wanted to know what show inspired this artwork that she really liked and her immediate response was i don't know if i can watch this whole thing this animation is just way too old for me right now <laughs> <laughs> which i thought was just hilarious but i had actually never even heard of initial d so that's that was new for me too honestly i might might actually claim that print so we'll see <laughs> do it if it speaks to you do it and then the last piece that i got was another little bit of a story i love your camp people that listen to this podcast know that i already sort of talked about it with the keychain but there was this artist called Isekai Crew that had this Rin and Nareshko print that was super cute. It's just the both of them clearly camping in the winter. One of them is drinking like hot tea or something, and the other one is slurping up some noodles. Just very classic Euro camp with the focus on camping and food, and that's something that I just love. And it was a really nice small print, and I wanted to get it. And 
I walked over and we were asking about the price and it was really cheap. It was like five or $10 for the print. And most prints here are like $20 or something in that range. And this was a lot less. And they ended up telling us that the reason that it was less is because there was a misprint when they actually were printing these before the con. And so they didn't want to sell them at full price given that there was something they were unhappy with, which was obviously very nice of them to tell us because just looking at the print, you can't tell. And I am super, super anal about these kind of things. And so I immediately was like, I'm gonna buy this print. I can't tell what's wrong with it, but I wanna own it. So I'm gonna buy it. If you guys wanna know what it is, everybody else can go find out and I'm still gonna buy it. So I actually still don't know what the misprint is. And I have banned everybody that was at the con with me from telling me what the misprint is because it's gonna bother me if I know what it is. And I'm perfectly happy with it framed on my wall as it is already. Do you wanna know? So I need to just, no, I do not wanna know. Are you sure? Yes. The podcast is over if you tell me. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so that's all the stuff that I ended up getting. Shout out to all these amazing artists. And I think we could probably move on to talking about a little bit of the community aspects, unless there's something else you wanted to say about art. So was there anything that you really wanted that you didn't find? I know you said that you really wanted some of the smaller anime to make an appearance, especially your favorites like Monogatari. Was there anything else? If there were more sort of Madoka, Steins Gate, you know, some of these franchises that I mentioned, I maybe would have gotten a few different pieces of art and a little bit less Genshin stuff. But I wasn't super upset. I already own a lot of Monogatari <laughs> merch, yeah. so I'm happy with the stuff that I got. Yeah, for me, I've spent so much time since Kentaro Mira's passing really thinking about Berserk and getting into it. And so... I kind of wanted an artwork to jumpstart my my path there. And I know Mura is known for the intensity and the amount of time and effort he puts into every one of his panels. And I was really looking for someone to kind of replicate that in, in a berserk style. And I didn't see any of those, unfortunately. I know that's a very hard thing for an artist to do, especially because it takes so much time. There was one artist that had a similar style but the objects that they were representing there just weren't weren't things that I was very interested in. So I would have liked to see something in, in a berserk style. And then also I would have liked to see more clothing, especially clothing that spoke to me, something that's a little more minimalist. There was one place that I wanted to go to that was sold out and I was so, so sad because the artist said there was no plans really to restock. So you win some, you lose some. Yeah, GG. All right, so let's talk about the crowd. What stuck out to you about the crowd? What were you expecting? And I guess, how did that live up to your expectations? Yeah, I have to say it pretty much matched my expectations exactly. Um, I think it was still cool to see a lot of the cosplays in person and see how much effort people put into their cosplays. Like, obviously, you can just spend a lot of money and, and buy a full cosplay set or a full costume, but a lot of people really put crazy amounts of effort into home making their cosplays. I remember when we were pre-queuing on Saturday, we saw a 
Hawks cosplay that all of the wings were very clearly homemade, but looked so good. They put so much effort in just bringing these big wings to life. So stuff like that I really liked, but otherwise it was pretty much what I expected. A ton of Genshin, a ton of Demon Slayer, and sort of these big shonen franchises is what I was expecting to be cosplayed. And that's really what we saw. But again, it was for me mostly the experience of seeing how much effort people put into the cosplays, how excited they were to become their favorite characters or be a part of their favorite franchise in their own way. I thought that was like, of course, I've seen cosplay in in many places and online, but actually being surrounded by tons of cosplay was really cool. Even as someone who is not that into cosplay or into cosplaying themselves, I still really enjoyed that experience. Yeah, I've mentioned this a couple of times already, but it really seemed like there was an amalgamation of fandoms at this con. I got that sense immediately just by standing in line. You saw cosplays of things from all over the place. You saw anime represented, you saw comic books represented, you saw cartoons. It's just so many different things. So I guess the real question for you then is, uh, do you think anime is mainstream yet? (laughs) Actually, on that point, first of all, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. We just had Thanksgiving. But I went to Thanksgiving with my girlfriend because most of her family is from the city. And so they had a, a small smaller gathering than they usually do, but I still got to meet a few of her cousins. Obviously, I know that anime is more mainstream now, but I really had this holy shit experience when all of her cousins, every single one of them had seen some anime and could talk about anime in some way beyond just saying, oh, I kind of know what that is. And that was pretty amazing to me that, you know, one person wanted to talk about My Hero and Attack on Titan. Another person was talking about 86 and some rom-coms. Some people had watched, of course, Studio Ghibli movies. One person had wanted to talk about Cowboy Bebop because they'd just seen the live action. All these kind of things that I'm like, wow. A lot of people here know different parts of the anime community, and that was really cool. So anime is definitely fucking mainstream. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we were joking about that just on the walk while we were standing in line. It was great to see. Yeah. Let's deep dive a little bit into the cosplays. What was overrepresented? What was underrepresented? We saw a lot of Demon Slayer. A lot, a lot. We also saw quite a bit of Genshin. Quite a few Eulas, quite a few Hutaos. Eulas, Hutaos, Ventis, Monas, Lisas. Every character I saw probably at least once, which is saying something. There are like a decent number of characters now, and pretty much all of them I saw at one point, except for the slightly newer or more obscure characters. It was pretty amazing. I think the other thing that I saw was overrepresented, and this is one that I was not expecting. Like, I mean, Demon Slayer, everyone knew that was going to be a lot. Genshin, again, that was expected. The thing I didn't expect as much of was Tokyo Revengers. There were so many Tokyo Revengers cosplays. That was a little bit out of left field for me. I know a lot of people like the anime, and it's gotten a lot of traction recently. Also, it's not the most difficult cosplay to also do is like relatively easy just to get the uniform just to buy it and wear it and they look good yeah i think the other big thing from a cosplay perspective is that my sister fucking loves kodasuba and from the first day she was like as soon as i see a megumin cosplayer i'm gonna take a photo with them and there weren't that many kodasuba cosplays but we saw a few megumins and the first one that she saw was really well done but she was standing sort of off to the side like taking a phone call and so we were awkwardly waiting like 30 or 40 feet away just like waiting for this cosplayer to be done with their phone call and as soon as they were done my sister sort of beelined to them and asked if she could take a photo with them and they were super nice about it but yeah people definitely i think really enjoy 
seeing their favorite characters brought to life in a certain way. And so it's fun to take pictures with cosplayers. I think most cosplayers, you know, that's why you you do the cosplays that you want people to recognize and to be excited when they see you. So I think for most cosplayers, it's it's a really fun thing to also experience that. I wanted to make one comparison here to Comic-Con. And I think that because Comic-Con draws a more diverse group of fandoms, the anime cosplays often overrepresent the most popular currently airing shows there. And so this year, it was Demon Slayer. And I must have seen at least 20 Rengokus. I went to the Funimation Demon Slayer panel at Comic-Con as well. And it was giant. There were hundreds and hundreds of people there, a lot of them cosplaying. At anime cons, which are more dedicated, I think you'll really see a lot of the smaller or older franchises, which you won't see at a more diverse con like Comic-Con. Yeah, for sure. All right, should we move on to the panels and events? Yep, let's do it. All right, so we're just going to go through panel by panel and just quickly give our thoughts. So I'll start with the Attack on Titan, the final season panel. Uh, As we noted earlier, Ravi did not attend this one because he was obsessed with Artist Alley and really pondering whether he should spend $350 on a print. But the rest of us went because we're actually (laughs) caught up on Attack on Titan and we're not fucking losers. How fucking dare you? (laughs) Um, and this panel had the was put on by Funimation and had the English voices of Aaron, who is voiced by Bryce Peppenbrook, and Zeke, who's voiced by Jason Liebrecht. I have to say I was pretty disappointed by this panel. I thought the organization was not very well done. They were kind of jumping all over the place, and it didn't seem like they had a clear plan for where the questions should go and trying to investigate more about the voice actors' thoughts on the characters and and the show themselves. I didn't think it was particularly well moderated. Also, the moderator was trying to be relatable and funny, which is good, but it came off just a little bit too strong and he was didn't really know what he wanted to say. It wasn't really staying on track. But what I did like was that they did play back a few of the intense scenes from the latest season that the voice actors then got to actually discuss. And... I think I'll note that as soon as you came back from this, actually in the text chat before you came back from this, it seemed like you both had a pretty negative impression of the voice actors based on what they had said during this panel. Yeah, I mean, I want to say that they seem like cool guys and the voice acting work that they do is good. So it's really not about that. And I think it was also fun as someone who's primarily a sub watcher to actually see some of the scenes recreated in the dub and be able to make comparisons. And I think that part of it was fun for me. I was a little bit disappointed with the voice actors themselves. It seems like they aren't super well versed in the show's content. And I think that voice actors don't necessarily have to do that. But it always is fun to see a voice actor that's super invested in their character to the point that they know a lot of the lore and stuff that's in the manga and maybe common fan reactions to that character. And it seemed like these VAs didn't have that close of a connection with their characters, which was a little bit of a shame. The thing that really set us off during the panel is that one of the questions that they got was if they know what happens in the manga, because obviously Attack on Titan's done now. And both of them said no. And that's totally okay. Like, I don't think to be a good voice actor, you have to be a manga reader. You don't have to read the source material. I think often it is good to. Um, But the thing that was really upsetting is that they actually said that they prefer to get information about the show as it's revealed in the actual show and that that makes for a better voice acting performance, which first of all, just isn't how it works normally in the industry. Like when you're doing a movie, for example, as an actor, you are typically given more of the script unless there's a very specific reason the director doesn't want to do that. And 
that way you can actually know the character's full thoughts and the character's full plans and intentions and actually act in accordance to that so that you know more than what the audience knows as they're watching it. And then it feels like you're actually inhabiting that character. It's more of a genuine performance. And that's definitely true for a show like Attack on Titan. Aaron and Zeke definitely have internal thoughts that are clouded. Their plans are not exactly clear. And we get to find out what they're actually thinking as the show goes on. That's great as you're watching it. It's not so great if you are trying to embody that character and you don't know what that character is thinking at all. It makes it hard to, I think, in my opinion, give a genuine performance. So that was a little bit disappointing. But overall, I mean, still was fun to at least be in a room of a bunch of other Attack on Titan fans. Yeah, and then we went on to see Bryce again, actually, <laughs> in the Demon Slayer panel. So when I went into this, all right, we came off of this Attack on Titan panel, and I was kind of gaslit because I had seen the Demon Slayer panel before, <laughs> and I've been like, damn, I love these voice actors. Like, they're really good. They did a good job. And and I went into the Demon Slayer panel a little more cautious this time. To be fair, I was expecting the Demon Slayer panel to be better than the Attack on Titan panel. Just A, because both were at the main stage, but one was on Saturday. I figured there would be better attendance for the Demon Slayer panel. But also because I have seen Zach Aguilar, who voices Tanjiro, in a bunch of other stuff because he voices the main character in Genshin. So I have seen him in streams and in official content releases. So I sort of knew what to expect from him a little bit more. So I was more optimistic about that panel. And luckily that panel I thought was really great. I think all of us really liked. So that panel had the English voices of Tanjiro, Zach Aguilar, Zenitsu, who is voiced by Alex Lee, and Inosuke, who's again voiced by Bryce Pappenbrook. I really enjoyed it. And especially coming off of that disappointing Attack on Titan panel, I was just really happy to see that all of the hype that people had for Demon Slayer and for the upcoming second season and coming off of Mugen Slayer, Mugen Slayer, Lamau, coming <laughs> off of Mugen Train was respected in a really, really nice way. So my overall thoughts, the organization I thought was great. They opened with the season one opening, which I thought got everyone really hyped. And they had a bunch of cool little tidbits that were lacking in the other panel. So for example, they had the VAs pick favorite scenes for each other and then sort of delve into why they picked those specific scenes, whether they were funny or more serious and what they liked about them. They had video messages from the other cast members. So like Abby Tra, who plays Nezuko, and Mark Witten, who plays Rengoku, got to talk about their characters too, even though they weren't actually there, which was fun. They did a live reading, which I've never seen before. I mean, it's my first time going to these panels, but I know that they're common in a lot of the Japanese appearances for the VA. So it was really fun to see that, even though it was a pretty short scene. They also got to play the new Demon Slayer game that just came out on stage. That was super fun to just watch them battle it out in this basically Street Fighter style video game. Also, shout out to Katrina, who I know worked on the translation for that game. Looks and sounds really, really good. And they showed the preview trailer for the upcoming second season, the Entertainment District arc. So again, I thought it was really well done. I think all of us liked it. Hope my girlfriend also immediately went to binge Demon Slayer after the con was over. She actually just finished it. So I got to rewatch a lot of it too. And you know it's a good panel or a good event if it gets you hyped for something you hadn't actually seen yet. And so I think they just did a good job with it. It was just really, really well done. The, the nice touches they added, the things that they had the actors do on stage. A live reading was so cool to sit and watch through and actually listen to them get into the personas of that. And this is where I was like, damn, Bryce Pappenbrook's voice is amazing. The yeah, way he's able to really get a laugh. 
When they were playing the video game, for example, I mean, they were all ribbing on, on Zach because he's clearly the best one who's playing video games amongst them. He's it's a gamer. hilarious, yeah. right? So it was really funny to actually see the cast members just being human and just acting as if they would with friends. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the other two events that we went to. So we went to this binge-worthy anime food panel, which had this YouTuber, Chef PK, talking about how he creates binge-worthy food inspired by anime. So what he did was he basically had this PowerPoint presentation where he talked about the process of creating this Rengoku-inspired ramen, which looked really interesting. And so he had photos of the actual ramen bowl and then talked about how he was inspired by the movie to create this specific dish. And then after that, there was a Q&A session and then he basically invited everybody to go taste Carl's balls, which is this like takoyaki oh, yeah. stand. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. Um, <laughs> which is this takoyaki stand that they had outside of the convention center. What did you think about this panel? Honestly, this was the panel I was most excited for. <laughs> I had seen the Demon Slayer or a rendition of the Demon Slayer one before. I would have been most excited for that one just because I knew it was going to be giant, but... I watch Chef PK, and it's like really cool to see a person that you watch online in person. And especially as YouTube has blown up, these people have become like personalities. Chef PK has hundreds of thousands of subscribers on YouTube, which it's awesome to see. I love cooking. That's why I was so excited to see this. You know, I really felt a connection there. When he was talking about the Rengoku-inspired ramen, seeing all the elements go into him making food... It had the same effect that Food Wars had on me, which is that I want to... No, shut up. It's not, <laughs> it's not about getting horny for food. It, it's about the creative inspiration of like wanting to cook and make something with your own hands. And that's how I went into this panel being like, I'm really excited to see this. Unfortunately, I felt like there was a lot that could have been done that wasn't done. They had reserved about an hour for the actual panel to be done. The Rengoku ramen exposition only lasted about 10 minutes or 15 minutes, after which they moved on to a Q&A. So I wish they had actually spent a little more time maybe going through other dishes, talking about the creative process, maybe just how the YouTube videos are actually made, what else he's looking forward to doing, his connection with some of these other culinary dishes, maybe his process of becoming a chef and an artist at the same time and a YouTuber. Not not a lot of that was actually explored in this panel. To be fair, Chef PK did say that next year he wanted to do a live a tasting. You would create something. Maybe it was COVID restrictions that prevented that from happening this year. I just really hope that if we see another one of these panels, there's just more there. Yeah, I completely agree. I actually had not watched any Chef PK videos before this, unlike you. And it felt like the event was kind of tailored to people that were his fans already. And so it was just like, here's my latest dish. Here's how I made it. Now I have all this time to just interact with you. And I also would have appreciated him going through more dishes the same way he did the Rengoku ramen, which I thought was good. Maybe telling us more about his life, how he became a YouTuber. And maybe he's talked about these things elsewhere. But as someone who didn't know him ahead of time, I just wish there was a little bit more expansion on that. That being said, Jeff PK, come on the pod. We'll talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's going to uh, listen to this. He's one of our like 200 listeners. Sounds good. <laughs> um, all right. And then the last event we went to was that there was a big Attack on Titan manga exhibit, which we had to stand in line for for a little bit, but had panels from the entire run of the Attack on Titan manga. I haven't read the manga, so it was cool seeing a lot of those panels with a little bit of context given put up in like a museum exhibit style. So 
I really enjoyed that. I mean, it was a pretty cool event to have. All right. Were there any panels or events that we missed out on from like the million that we wanted to go to that you wanted to shout out or that you wish we had had time to go to? Uh, I was really upset that I didn't go to the Kintaro Mira Remembrance one. We were just yeah. exhausted. There was so much stuff to do. There was so much stuff to do. You know, when Artists Alley and the Exhibitors Hall closed, we thought we would stay on for some of the panels. But then when we were actually there in reality, you're just white. It's like, let's go home and get dinner, please. <laughs> yeah, we also thought we'd get dinner after this. Like, you know, we had plans and we were yeah. just like, no, fuck this. We we're got dinner home. on Sunday, but the other yeah. days we're like, we got to go home and just like sleep because we got to get up at like eight tomorrow <laughs> to get back here. The other one I was excited to see would have been the Anime in Hollywood panel, which is by Evan Minto. He works in the anime industry and that would have been really, really nice to see. Yeah. Just kind of see that perspective on it. Unfortunately, we didn't have time for that because it overlapped yeah. with too many other things. Yeah. Yeah, the few other ones that I was excited about was the there was a big localization translation panel, which like, of course, we've delved into a lot of these issues, both mainly having Katrina on the podcast, also a little bit with Mercedes, but they had a lot of big people that are active on Twitter and do a lot of localization. So it would have been cool to go to that if we'd had time. There were a bunch of industry panels that we, in theory, wanted to go to and again, just didn't have time. Crunchyroll, G-Kids, Funimation, a bunch of these had had panels. And I was personally bummed that the movie screenings on Sunday overlapped with the Zombieland Saga Franchuchu live concert. I really wanted to go to that. But of course, the movie screenings took precedence. So why don't we just start talking about the movie screenings? Since yeah, we're let me ask you, was there. it worth it to go see this? <laughs> it was worth it. Um, it was worth it. Okay, so... I'm pretty sure my blood pressure is really <laughs> at least 10 points. So. Okay, so we're going to talk about both these movies... But it's going to be spoiler free again to reiterate. So you can completely trust us, listen to this, go see the movies when they come out. But this is if you're curious on our first impressions. Yep. All right. I was excited about this. I would love to be able to do this every year at a convention and just be able to go see these debut screenings. It was definitely one of the highlights for me. You want to start with Pompo? Yeah, absolutely. So. Let me say, first of all, I went into both of these screenings completely tabula rasa. I had no idea what to expect. I, yeah. I had heard literally nothing about either of these two movies. Pompo especially, I had actually heard nothing about. Bell, I had heard all of the hype about. Mm -hmm. I know Mamoru Hosoda, of course. Mm -hmm. Pompo the Cinephile, I had literally never heard of. But when we were applying for the lotteries, I was like, all right, there's two movies and it's a screening. Like, I'll just go see it if I get it. Yeah. Yeah, so I think a reason that we had heard very little about this is because it's a debut movie for a new studio, Clap. And it was directed by Takayuki Hirao. And we don't know a lot of stuff that this director has made before besides the fifth Karanyo Kyokai movie, which you love. It's one of my favorite movies. It's like in my top five or ten anime of all time, just yeah. the entire Karanyo Kyokai saga. But specifically, the fifth movie is my favorite in that franchise. And... Knowing that he directed that and worked with Ufotable, when I found that out, I think it was like the day before we went to the screening, I started to get a little bit excited for it. Yeah. So Pompo is about a successful Hollywood producer named Pompo, and she tasks her assistant, Jean, with directing a new film that she has written. So we won't go into the storyline much more than that, but let's actually break down what we liked about the film and what we didn't like about the film. So why don't you start with what we did like about the film? What I liked about the film, the, I think, number one standout thing that I noticed basically immediately, like 10 minutes into the movie, is that the editing was so snappy and clever, like so satisfying. They had a lot 
of really nice sharp cuts, a lot of good transitions. And that made it immediately super engaging. And I still think that the entirety of its run, the editing was super nice and satisfying. I also think the cast is full of not that deep, I would say, but really likable characters. The character designs are fun, strong personalities. That combined with the editing made the movie really pop and the animation is really nice overall. So all of the good stuff I think about this movie is to say that I had a good time with it and we can get into the bad now and talk about what let me down about the film. But I think the thing that I took away from it is that it was just like a pretty fun standard anime movie you can go and enjoy that has a few quirks about it that I was not crazy about. I took this movie a lot harder than you did. Yeah, you really did. You took this movie personally. (laughs) Why don't don't you start with the bad? Because I'm going to lose it a little bit by the end of this. Sure. I think the parts about the movie that let me down is that ultimately the movie, I don't think has a clear idea for what it's trying to say in terms of tackling its theme of dedication to one's craft. I don't want to spoil what happens, but the movie just sort of lands in this weird place where it seems like it's making an argument that you really got to love your work to the max and sacrifice other things in order to be successful regardless of what your craft is. And that just seemed like a weird point and kind of at odds with some of the events that the characters go through in the movie. And then I think... Besides that weird take on its main theme, I thought the music was pretty forgettable. We watched Bell immediately after this. And very early on in Bell, you see sort of the expertise that Maburu Hosoda has in using his music and animating things in accordance with the music. And I was like, wow, this really makes the difference between these two movies very, very clear for me. But I think the main thing that I struggled with was the takeaway message and what I was supposed to get from this movie there was also a weird side plot with a fucking banker that like did not need to be in the movie at all especially since it was mainly a movie about making movies and i thought we really could have just stuck with that and not tried to add this weird capitalistic element that came out of nowhere but yeah sort of like i said i think despite those negatives that definitely lessened my enjoyment of the movie i took the movie very lightly as sort of just fun with a few flaws. Yeah, you took this lightly. This movie fucked me up. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So, personally, I think the one thing I hate in this world more than anything else is wasted potential. And I thought this movie had so much potential as a meta work about filmmaking and diving into the process of creating movies all the way from pre-production through to editing. And... I was devastated that it didn't live up to that potential because when I go into something that's meta like this, I I really like to see how is it that films are made. Some of my favorite animes are about the meta process of making anime. Like, for example, Keep Your Hands Off Azekin. They're just great works that can be done really, really well because it shows the creative process in a creative way. The issue with Pompo for me is that it just really stumbled. And the reason I think it stumbled is because, first of all, the twist in the movie. The narrative structure of a lot of really common movies is that you'll start off, you introduce the characters and the setting and blah, blah, blah. And then you'll have a twist that comes pretty early on in the movie where 
now the viewer is connected to the characters and is rooting for them to win. This is how like all Disney movies work, basically. And over the entire process of the movie, you're trying to resolve or create some conclusion to that twist. And we have a happy ending. The thing with Pompo is for a lot of it, it didn't have a twist. And that was fine with me. I was It didn't happy. need one. It, it didn't need one at all. I was completely happy with it just detailing the process of making this movie. Near the maybe like three quarters of the waypoint, you get introduced to a twist. And the twist here is just really poorly executed. I don't want to talk about what it is because it's a slight spoiler. But the other thing that played into the movie's downfall is that the writers tried to make the message of the movie way more grandiose than it needed to be. And that was another reason the production stumbled. It took the message of the movie, which is like... People love going to watch movies and movies can be made for anyone. And it took that to like level 9000. And again, it's just like we could have made a really great movie about making movies, just had us detailing the process of doing that and having fun characters doing that. But instead, no, they needed to give it like a meta point. And I I really dislike that element of it. I think I actually mainly agree with all your points. And we talked about this after the screening, of course. I think the only difference between us is that I was not going into this expecting anything on the level of Aizuken or Shirabako. I don't know why, but but I wasn't (laughs) expecting that. And so when the movie did stumble, I was like, eh, I don't love that, but like, whatever. I just won't think about it too hard. And you were out here like about to have a full fucking meltdown (laughs) after the screening. Yeah, I took I took it pretty hard. I I was just like it had so much potential it lost it. I I will also say one thing we disagreed on is the consistency of the editing. I thought the editing was a lot better in the first half of the movie than the second half, or at least I noticed a lot more of the snappy cuts, the very interesting transitions done in the first half. And when it got to the twist element to it, started reusing some of the other elements in the first half that I didn't like especially with the animation style. And also, I think it just didn't have the same snappiness to the editing. One thing that I forgot to say that I really liked about the movie is we talked about how the movie's main message is like weird and confusing and tried to be grandiose, which I think is totally fair. One point I think the movie does try to make that I love and I don't see made often enough is that what happens early on, so this is definitely not a spoiler, is that Pompo is known for being successful at producing a lot of what can be called trashy or fan servicey type movies you know like summer blockbusters and things like that and one thing that the movie hones in on is how can pompo be so successful at creating these like b-level movies and then go on to try to make something different and and more grandiose and more elevated in, in its content and the movie basically lands on the idea that just because a movie is trashy doesn't make it a bad movie. There are people that like those movies and your whole taste in movies doesn't have to be some highbrow intellectual style of film. Like you can like those things and you can like analyzing the depth of really complex movies and narratives and characters, but you can also just really like trashy action, fan servicey movies and media. And that's also totally fine. Like the two are not mutually exclusive. And I love that point. And was really happy that it was in this movie. And I wish I would see that in more places. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with that. I will say that's not the message it had by the end of the movie. No, definitely definitely not. They did contradict themselves a little bit on that point when they 
chose to go the route they did. So let's end that discussion and let's move on to maybe going to be the longest rant of today. Oh, man. Which is I don't know if I could do this again. (laughs) So Yanni has already tweeted about this. If you do follow him on Twitter, if you follow the main account on Twitter. Oh, by the way, if you follow me on Twitter, you can also see me with a Hu Tao cutout that I mentioned earlier. Do it. Do it for the Yanni fan service. Everybody wants that. <laughs> Let's talk about Bell. So, Mamoru Hosoda is and maybe was my favorite movie director up until this point. I absolutely adore Wolf Children. I absolutely adore all of his films. Summer Wars is incredible. The Girl Who Left Through Time. I love the character development he has in all of his movies. And so, going into Bell. I just knew it was a Hosoda work. I knew that I would probably like it. And I was devastated walking out of this movie. I think the other thing that we should note is that this movie has so much hype behind it. We've heard from other people that have seen it maybe in Japan. It got a 14-minute standing ovation at Cannes. And that's a relatively prestigious film festival. So there's clearly a lot of excitement about this movie. And there were a lot of people in the theater, in the main stage, excited to see it. And we were included. We didn't know that much about it other than some basic, maybe plot, surface level plot details and all of this hype. So we were really excited. I'll give a short outline of the premise. So this movie is about a country girl named Suzu who's living her life and trying to cope with the loss of her mother. That comes very early in the film. And... She gets plugged into this massive virtual world called You, where people basically have these avatars and they can walk and exist in this virtual platform. And she becomes a sensation as a singer in this virtual world. So the movie basically goes between her life in the countryside of Japan and her superstardom in this world of You. I'll start with the good. The animation is beautiful. The music is insane. The opening track is so addictive. Even though I fucking despise this movie with every fiber of my (laughs) being, I have gone back and listened to the opening track and some of the other soundtracks many times because it's really, really good. What's bad about this movie? What is bad about this movie? Everything. (laughs) (laughs) So I think we're actually both... In the minority, all four of us were really upset at this movie, and we're all in the minority, somehow, that this is by far Hosoda's worst movie. And not only is it his worst movie, because if you just make a bad movie, that's fine. But this movie is both actively offensive, in my opinion, and completely nonsensical in many ways. I'll give the spoiler-free reasons for this. So the first is that the world of you and the technology surrounding this virtual platform make literally zero sense and are never explained. And I've argued on this podcast before that generally I like, you know, rules and logic in in my fantasy or in my sci-fi. And sometimes you can get away with not doing that. Like I've made the argument, for example, that some of the mechanics, the supernatural elements in your name, for example, don't really make that much sense if you track them down. But the movie functions pretty well without them and they are used effectively in the plot of the movie to reach the emotional climax of the film. Here, everything just literally doesn't make sense. For example, I'll give one example, which I don't think is a spoiler. And that's that in order to plug into this platform, you have to basically put on these like earphones 
And then it says in the opening that it transports your eyes and your visual field into the world. So keep that in mind. Now there's another scene later in the movie where Suzu's running and she immediately puts on the headphones, it snaps to the virtual world, she does some shit in the virtual world, and then it snaps back to the real world and she's in a completely different location. How the fuck does she keep running? <laughs> How does she not just collapse? How can someone run in the real world and also exist in the virtual world? That doesn't make fucking sense. On top of that, some wild shit happens in this virtual world. Are there moderators? Is a company controlling this thing? Like, what is this platform? I don't get it at all. <laughs> all right. The second thing <laughs> ties into what I mentioned was kind of offensive. And it's spoilery to talk about what I think is offensive about it. But I think that basically it boils down to Hosoda tackling some really sensitive content that is basically handled as poorly as it could be in a way that I think could actually be harmful and in a way that it didn't need to. This movie could have worked perfectly fine and I wish it had been almost just a slice of life about this girl living in the countryside and interacting with the technological platform that she's on. And I think that would have been enough. They introduced this twist that is honestly just done in pretty much the worst way it possibly could have been done. And that's really all I can say about it without spoiling it. Spoiling it. Without spoiling it. <laughs> um, I think the other thing that I didn't like is that this movie, I didn't know this, but apparently a lot of people did know this, that it's connected to Beauty and the Beast and kind of inspired by it. And I thought that ripoff was just like weird and unnecessary and definitely ties into that twist later in some way. But I thought that was weird. So yeah, I fucking hate this movie so much. And I can't believe that people like it. I feel like people have watched a completely different movie than the one that I watched. But we are going to do a full Marlboro Hosoda episode, I think, in January when this movie actually hits theaters. Where we'll probably mostly talk about the movies that we like of his. Uh, but we'll probably talk a little bit more about the reasons why we didn't like this when we can actually spoil it and people have had a chance to see it. Kind of don't want to. <laughs> <sighs> I mean... What do I even say about this movie? I think I think it really comes back to the point I made before about wasted potential. Um, and the reason I sound so sad is because, again, Hosoda was my favorite director before this film. And I, I am astounded that this work could actually be put out there and approved by him. It feels um, like no one read the script. It, it really feels like this was greenlit with like literally no ounce of, of just common sense. Yeah. The movie had so many narrative beginnings that it could have seen through to completion and that could have formed into a cohesive story. But instead, they just chose to make the writing abysmal. The movie keeps adding new plot lines that are never satisfactory resolved. And so by the end of the film, the viewer is just left feeling and I'm just left feeling as if I have no connection to the characters whatsoever. Yeah. I have no idea how the setting works, as you had mentioned. And there's just no sense of fulfillment by the end of the film. I think not only did this film waste any possible potential it had, but it also just wasted a lot of the esteem that I had for Hosoda. Honestly, I wish I could forget this film because it's, it's honestly unfortunate that we have to keep talking about this and we have to bring this up in the context of so many other films that I love when we have this dedicated episode next year. 
it's really hard to talk about the reason why we're so disappointed in this without getting into spoiler territory. But suffice it to say that there are elements that are explored, as you said, of very sensitive topics, things that take marginalized demographics and resolutions that could be used to save people in very, very poor, ignorant ways. I think that's all I'll say about it for now. But just damn, I am sad that I actually had to think about and watch this movie. Yeah, I am someone who hates talking during movies. Like, I'm that person who does not want somebody to ask me about the plot details unless, like, we really need to pause it because you're confused. I do not like when people are, you know, I don't think anyone likes when people are disruptive in a theater, but it really bothers me if people are talking during a movie. And I've never before had the experience of, A, actively facepalming in the theater and contemplating literally leaving. Of course, I wanted to see what happened towards the end, so... I didn't, but I literally turned to Ravi multiple times during the screening towards the climax and towards the conclusion. And I was just, I literally out loud was just like, what the fuck? Many times. And that's so out of character. I've never done that before. I would hate if someone else did that during a movie that I liked, but I literally just couldn't help myself to vocalize that. I could not believe what I was fucking seeing. There was one very discreet moment that I'll talk about ambiguously. It was when the character makes the decision to go and help another group of of characters. And all of the main character's support system, all of the other characters around her are just like, you go do that. We'll be standing here. We'll cheer you on. And all of us are just like, the fuck is going on? What the actual fuck is going on in this film? I We literally looked at each other and I, my jaw was just fucking on the floor. <laughs> like we are literally talking to each other. And, and the thing is, we can't have been the only ones because other people in that theater were definitely laughing. It feels like we're the only ones because there were other people that I have seen talk about this. People that I like in the anime community and on anime Twitter talking about how much they like this movie and it i don't get it I, it, it feels like we're being cannot understand honestly. it i do not understand how you can watch this film watch what happens in this film and think it's a good movie i i do not get it it's just actively offensive from, from a filmmaking perspective and from a sensitive subject matter handling perspective it feels like people just didn't care about that yeah and like the only it out. the only rationale i have is that if you're in the anime industry if you're actually entrenched in the industry you can't say something negative about a film you have to have a delicate take on yeah. something that's the only way i can see people that we respect in the industry having a take that this is a good movie yeah i i don't understand i don't fucking understand but Anyways, we'll talk more about Bell maybe when we do so that we'll probably talk about it. I can guarantee you it's not gonna be in our top five. <laughs> surprise, surprise, we'll see. <laughs> All right. I think that's enough about the films. So maybe to close, what are your favorite memories from Anime NYC? What are you gonna take away from the con? I spent so much money. <laughs> <laughs> no, my favorite part, honestly, I, I think first of all, Artist Alley. I love going to Artist Alley. Yeah, um, seeing the artists there, seeing the cosplayers, being surrounded by a community that I think is like-minded and, and has shares the same interests as you. I think the other thing that was really, really nice is going with friends. I have not gone to Comic-Con alone ever to this point. 
And I think that really changes your experience of the entire con. Like you're, you're experiencing it with somebody else. If you find something really cool, it's always fun to be like, hey, come look at this. This is awesome. Share that same excitement. So I think being with friends, being with Yanni, being with the other two friends that came with us was, was one of the best parts of it for sure. Yeah, I definitely agree. It was super good first anime con experience and definitely makes me want to go to more. I think I'll stick by what I said at the beginning, which was that A, being completely surrounded and just my mind focusing only on anime content for three days was really fun for the most part. Getting all these different facets of anime content and the community to engage with was so great, whether it was talking to artists and looking at art or engaging in these panels or watching these movies. Like Having my mind pretty much solely on anime for three days was honestly super fun. And then the the screenings, I mean, even though we fucking hated one of the movies and didn't really like the other one, I just think the the whole event of going to see an initial premiere for a film is super fun and makes cons feel very exciting and sort of worthwhile. And I really, really enjoyed that. Are you looking forward to any other conventions? What are we doing? Are we going to Anime NYC next year? I'm sure we'll do that. Are we going to go we'll to Anime totally Expo if it Anime comes NYC. back? Oh, man. Anime Expo. That's <laughs> a bit of a stretch. Uh, going yeah. all the way to California to go to a con. And not only that, but the largest con in the US, yeah. I think may be a bit of a stretch. But we'll see. I think Otakon is something that I'm very interested in possibly going down to. We could definitely go down to yeah. uh, DC and check that out, right? But yeah, I think we should definitely check out more anime expos. I mean, this was such a good experience that I'm really excited to see other anime yeah. content and see what other anime communities are represented at these cons. So yes, I'm absolutely looking forward to going to other cons. Yeah, I'm definitely down to go to Anime NYC next year. I think we'll probably go every year that we're here. And I'd like to at least go to one other convention. I mean, going to a lot of these every year, I think would be really draining, but maybe one or two per year would be super fun, whether it's Otakon or Anime Expo eventually or whatever we can make it out to, I think would be a good time. And also for Anime NYC, we'd love to do some actual podcast content. I know that there were a few different podcasts and other content creators that either had a booth or had a panel. And I think we have some ideas about panels we'd like to host. And we know Peter, so we, we might we might pitch something and try to make something happen that would give us sort of a different perspective, trying to actually put something together at a con. So we'll see. We got a whole year for that. All right. Anything else you wanted to wrap up with? No. Thanks to all the volunteers. Thanks for yeah, all the, the community people that, that came out to Anime NYC. It was great being there with y'all. It was really nice seeing and interacting with some people that actually do listen to the podcast. Yanni had a friend come over and she said she loved the podcast. And that's always really heartwarming to hear. Um, it's really gratifying. I know we mainly put this on for ourselves, but for anybody that's out there actually listening to us, you know, it's great. Thank you for being there. Yeah. And definitely shout out to the organizers for A, responding to the lion situation, but more importantly, putting on an in-person convention during the pandemic is, I'm sure, incredibly challenging. And Peter did talk to us during the episode he was on about a lot of the challenges of that. And I think all things considered, they did do a good job at making sure people are wearing masks and making sure people are vaccinated and all that is uh, really appreciated, I think. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Next episode, we are finally going to do the Studio Ghibli episode that I promised last week. So... Look forward to that. Otherwise, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcasts. Make sure to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts if that's the platform that you use. Follow the podcast on Twitter at BakabanchaPod. We'll be shouting out a lot of the artists, maybe showing some of the merch we got. So go follow us there. Check out our website at bakabanter.com. And I think that's it. So otherwise, we've been the Bakabanter Lads and we'll catch you all in the next one. 